Well, good morning. Wasn't that a beautiful worship this morning? Let's, can we thank our praise team and band? Wonderful, thank you. I love the way they took us through the throne this morning and uh, closed with one of my favorite songs. And I get the chills when I, when I sing those words, and then came the morning that stilled the darkness. His buried body began to breathe. Can you imagine that moment where God's saying that's enough and brings forth his son? It's just powerful, powerful. Well, I'm thrilled to be with you this morning. I'm a big fan of, of, of Oakwood Community Church and a huge fan of Pastor Don and Julie. And I work with a lot of pastors. We probably work with Barnabas Ministries. We work with uh, probably over 400 pastors now. And pastors have a hard job. They did before COVID. And it seems like it's gotten harder through COVID and, and not much better after COVID. But about fourteen to 1,700 pastors quit every month. Can you believe that? Every month they quit. Um, I'm working with a number of them now who are just hanging on. Some of them, their marriages are struggling. Some are facing financial difficulties and so forth. Uh, I say all that to say, pray for pastors, but more importantly, pray for your pastors. Uh, Pastor Don, uh, Ben, these are good, good people. And I've known Pastor Don for a few years now and Julie, and um, they're incredible people. and They're God's gift to the church here. And one of the best things you can do for them, uh, I always enjoyed this when I was a pastor. I loved it. When I would get notes from people that would say, I'm praying for you, Pastor. That would mean a lot, first of all, to pray. But then every once in a while, let your pastor know you're praying for him. One of the great notes I used to get, I saved a lot of those. And they're just very simple. Pastor, I love you and I'm praying for you every day. Would you do that? Okay, two of you will. That's fantastic. <laughs> but do it. Don't all do next week, because um, he'll know something's up. But just spread it out and, just, and, and, and pray, and then let him know you're praying. Okay? We moved, my wife and I moved out uh, just south of Ortonville from Troy about 20 years ago. I grew up in southwestern Minnesota, and I liked the open spaces and grew up in a farm and uh, loved tractors. And, and so I, I, when I moved out here, the first purchase I made was a tractor. It's a diesel tractor. Anybody have a diesel? Oh, yeah, yeah, you've got to have a diesel tractor. Mine's not very big, but it's a diesel, so it counts. And one of the things, the second thing I bought was a chainsaw. I had a chainsaw when I was in, uh, in Troy, but it was one of those little home light chainsaws, you know, for trimming trees and that kind of thing, and couldn't handle anything big. And so I came out here and I bought a bigger chainsaw, <clears throat> and it, was, uh, it, was, it wasn't big enough. So I ended up buying a third chainsaw, and that was a steel chainsaw, steel the name brand, and that worked really, really well. I bought that one new. But then I also got another chainsaw. It's, you can never have too many chainsaws, right? <laughs> So this chainsaw <clears throat> was a, um, a John Sarid 980. It was made in 1986, and I got mine was uh, um, I bought mine used. And so I, I, I tell my kids, I said I've I've got chainsaws. I got Papa Bear, which is the uh, the John Sarid, and it, it, it's a pretty cool chainsaw. And then I've got the steel, which is uh, Mama Bear, and then I've got the little home light, which is Baby Bear and I've got a spare, okay? But 
for the big trees that fall, or that have to come down before they fall on the house, I use Papa Bear. And this is, I mean, this chainsaw, I've been told it's the, the most powerful chainsaw ever made. Um, uh, told, I was told that by a friend of mine. I, I'm, I don't want to look it up and find out it's wrong. I'm just going to believe it. It's the strongest chainsaw ever made. Seriously, when you start that thing up, it rumbles and the trees start shaking. It is. Does anybody have a Johnson Rid 980? <laughs> but it is so cool. And the trees come down. I made a mistake one day. I was taken down a tree. It was a large tree. And this wasn't the chainsaw's fault. It was mine. I got the chainsaw pinched in the tree. Has that ever happened to anybody? And I tried and I tried and I thought I could get one of my, I could get Mama Bear out, but that would be insulting to Papa Bear to have Mama Bear rescue the big chainsaw. And so I did, and don't do this at home. I got my tractor and put the bucket up and just started knocking against the tree, when I, the dead tree, and knocked the tree down. But in the process, it crushed the chainsaw. And so I was able to get the, the chainsaw out of the tree, and it was just a mess. Uh, internal parts were broken, it, and it was mangled. Um, so I took it to uh, two different uh, local areas or local shops that could fix it, and the first one said, this is too far gone. I took it to the second one, they said, well, send it in, and they sent it to Fenton, to their vendor that fixes chainsaws, and they sent it back and said, we can't do anything with it. And so here I'm, Papa Bear's gone. This is a sad day in our household. And so a friend of mine had just said, listen, you want a chainsaw, take this. And he took it. And that's always been a, a, a reminder to me. And uh, the, the young lady that led worship this morning so beautifully read from her daily devotion. Uh, and it said, a daily meditation, it said, and we, we are broken people living in a broken world. We can relate to that, can't we? I mean, just in the last few weeks, look what's happened. A train derailment in Ohio that's still causing all kinds of difficulty and perhaps will for decades to come. We have Chinese spy balloons going across the United States. We've got a war that's now gone on for over a year with no end in sight. We've got a potential alliance happening with uh, Iran, China, and Russia. And Russia just this week suspended the nuclear arms agreement that, that they had with the United States. And, so, and then on the social end of it, where do I, where do I start? I mean, it's uh, just a few weeks ago in Minnesota, they approved abortion right up until the time of the birth of a baby. And it just, when you hear these things and you, and you value life the way God does in the Bible, the thing, those things just rip at your heart and you say, this world is broken. And who can fix it? Washington can't. Uh, it seems like the more they try, the worse it gets. And I'm not... This isn't partisan. This is both parties. This is beyond our ability to fix. Like that chainsaw was way beyond my ability to fix. The world is so broken. Who can fix it? And yet every one of us have a strong desire to have peace, justice. Um, We want that so much in our lives and in our world. And so we look at this thing that seems to be spinning out of control. 
I remember reading a book back in 1984 um, written by Daniel Yanklovich, and he said the title of the book was Searching for Self-Fulfillment in a World Turned Upside Down. And I've often wondered, what would that book be titled today? Because the world is not only upside down, it's like spinning out of control. Who can fix this thing? And you mentioned the right answer, God. If you have your Bibles or a device of some sort, can you join me in Isaiah chapter 65? Isaiah chapter 65. And we find in this chapter the, all the complaints made of God are going to be resolved in a paragraph that we're going to read. Lord, why don't you do something? Lord, why don't you fix this thing? This is spinning out of control and it's broken beyond help. And we find here that God can fix broken things. Um, Notice in verse number 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall be remembered, shall not be remembered, or come into mind. God can fix a broken world. Let's answer some questions first with regards to this. The word He said, I will, behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. When Peter, the apostle, writes about this, he writes about a refurbishing fire of these heavens and these earth that's going to create something new. The same word that used for create here is used in Genesis chapter 1. He says, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to be so much different, and it's going to be so much better through the refurbishing fire. But So we ask the questions before we dive into the text. When is this going to happen? Who's going to be there? And what's it going to be like? The first question, when is this going to happen? There are lots of views with regards to eschatology or the study of of end times. But let me share the the view I've had for years. Um, It's... uh, it's a kind of a traditional view with regards to what's coming next, I believe, is the rapture of the church, where Jesus will call us up, you know, will meet us in the air, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, which will be followed by a seven-year time period on earth of great tribulation. And during this time of great tribulation uh, and three series of judgments, God's going to bring down his wrath on uh, the, the broken world we live in and unbelieving man. That's followed at the close of the the tribulation. We read in in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, that Jesus will come riding on a white horse with the thousands or a myriad of uh, heavenly hosts and and set up his kingdom. And that kingdom is for a thousand years, we read in Revelation chapter 20. And it's often called the millennial kingdom. And that millennial kingdom will go... Through to, through into eternity. We'll transition right into eternity. So this 1,000-year time period is, I believe, what he's talking about here, starting in verse 17 and following. And so that answers the question of this, how could it happen? Again, there are lots of views with regards to the end times, but this is referred to as the millennial time period. Who's going to be there? Jesus. Jesus. I was thinking this morning on the drive over here, that I've known Jesus since I was eight years old. I came to know Jesus in the farm in south, uh, southwestern Minnesota. And we were done bailing one night, hey, and that's back when we, uh, 
you had to load them on the trailers, you know, before you had the big round bales. And, and uh, I was driving tractor. I would, we would have broken all the child labor laws of today. But it was uh, sure fun, and it was a great way to grow up. And I remember having dinner at the farm and going upstairs after dinner, getting cleaned up, and going to bed and just lying in bed wondering, um, wondering about heaven and hell and where I was going to go, and I wanted to go where my parents went. I went downstairs and just began to ask Mom some questions. And that night I came to know Jesus as my Savior. That was a few years ago. So I've known the Lord uh, for a long time, but I've never seen him. Just the rise of faith. But one day, all of us who know Jesus will see him face to face. It's going to be a wonderful thing. Jesus is going to be there. And then we're going to find as well that the church age saints will be there, as well as Old Testament saints will be there. And so those are the groups that will be in the tribulation, but there's one more group. And that's those who, in natural, because those two groups will have glorified bodies. We'll have glorified bodies uh, uh, as Jesus did when he came forth from the grave. There's another group that's going to be there, and that's the group of individuals who made it through the tribulation time period. He that endures to the end shall be saved. And they'll come into the, tribula- or the millennial time period with uh, natural bodies and being able to reproduce and have children and so forth. So that's who's going to be there. And it's going to be a wonderful time. And those, uh, I, I love some of the verses of the Old Testament of Isaiah 11, Isaiah 35. Amos writes about this. Zephaniah writes about this. Uh, the Psalm, Psalm 32 writes about this. And it's going to be an incredible time. Because here, what, what you, in fact, you read it in, in uh, Psalm, uh, I think it's 86, 85 maybe 84, where it says, mercy and truth have met together and righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That happened at the cross where righteousness and peace came together and kissed. It's going to happen again when Jesus Christ rules because he will rule in a way, uh, in, in one sense, with a rod of iron, but with perfect justice, perfect righteousness because he's the son of righteousness. It's going to be a great time. So what's it going to be like? Uh, in this passage, let me share uh, six blessings. Six blessings that we find uh, during this time period. The first one, there'll be no memories of former pain. Let me read verse 17 one more time. And behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall be remembered, shall not be remembered or come to mind. I love this verse. Because I think probably for all of us, we have things in our past that um, have cast a shadow over us. And when it happens, we say, oh, how could I do that? How could I be so stupid? How could I make such a big mistake? How could I have sinned so greatly against God and others? I'll never be able to forgive this. I'll never be able to outlive this pain. And here God says, oh, yeah, you will. There's a time coming. When the former things and its pain will be remembered no more, those old memories will be obliterated by new mercies. And the mercies of God were so overwhelm us that the pain of the past will not be remembered. It's going to be a great day. Notice the second blessing. There will be joy. 
verses 18 and 19, but be glad and rejoice forever in that, I will, in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. So he's referring to Jerusalem here. And the Jerusalem now will be different from the Jerusalem then. The Jerusalem now is filled with mourning. It has been for years. In fact, when the children of Israel carried off into captivity into Babylon, there's a reference in Psalm 137 that says when they were in Babylon, gathered by the, on the shores of the rivers of Babylon, and their, their, their captors would come along and say, sing us some of those songs of Zion or Jerusalem. And they would sing, but they would, res- they would say, if we ever, if we ever forget Jerusalem, let our right arm lose its cunning and our tongue cleave to the roof of our mouths. They loved Jerusalem so much, and they were distanced from it. They had to be asking God all through those years, but what about the promise you made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give us a blessing, to give us a land? Now you've taken us from the land. Their sin took them from the land, and God was judging. But God said to him in Isaiah 43, 42, you're going to come back. And God brought him back. But weeping, there's a wall in Jerusalem. You know what it's called? The Wailing Wall. The Wailing Wall. And I've watched, I've been there many times, and I've watched people, men and women, women on the right side, men on the left side, will go to the wall, head covered, their prayers oftentimes written in little uh, pieces of paper, and they would come to the wall in silence. And they would kneel or stand by the wall, and they put their prayers into one of the crevices in those big blocks, and they would weep as they cried out for God for the peace of Jerusalem. There'll be a day when there'll be no more wailing wall. A new Jerusalem will descend from heaven. And it's going to be a glorious day, a day filled with gladness. And, and he said, you will be a joy and you'll be gladness to your people. Aren't you glad for that day of gladness? When, in, in fact, the promise was given in, in um, one of my favorite verses, uh, Revelation 21, around verse 4, for it says, And God himself shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. For all the former things that brought that, those tears of sadness, will be no longer. Will be no longer. There'll be joy and there'll be gladness. A third blessing that we find here, found in verse 20, is there will be longevity and no more untimely death. Notice verse 20. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, an old man who does not fill out his days, and a young man shall die a hundred years old, and a sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. What is he saying here? He's saying there's, there's going to be longevity during this time period, and that's defined in a couple of ways. First of all, what we've known today in a broad title is Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, SIDS, will be no longer. Will be no longer. All the, the, the times I've spent with, um, with parents, uh, one family not too far from here, I stood over a grave as they buried their twins who, were, who died shortly after birth. And I'll never, ever forget that moment in the cold. And there was just the, the, the three of us. 
standing over that grave, the pain that those parents experienced after the longing of holding their little, little twins. That'll be no longer. That'll be no longer. And it says here uh, in, the, in the text, the old man who does not fill out his days. Um, for, for the young man shall, shall die a hundred years old, and a sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. What's believed is that during this time period, obviously those with glorified bodies don't die. Uh, they don't sin. But those who don't have glorified bodies, who over those thousand years are born to the natural bodies of people coming into the millennial time period, those children, as they grow up, will have to make a decision with regards to who Jesus is and what they're going to do with Jesus in their life, just like all of us do today. What are you going to do with Jesus? Everyone has to decide. What are they going to do with Jesus? And there'll come a time where these people grow up, and if they haven't, made a decision for Jesus by the time of 100, it appears as if God's judgment will fall on them. So they've got 100 years to make that decision. It's one of the beliefs of, of the understanding of this verse. Number four, blessing. There will be peace, security, and success. Let me just read the verses, and there's so many cross-references I want to share with this, but I think you'll get it just if I read verse 21 through 23. They shall build houses and inhabit them, they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. The word enjoy there means consume. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall, for they shall be the offspring of the blessing of the Lord and their descendants with them. It's going to be an incredible, incredible time of blessing and enjoyment. Remember years earlier, um, I mean, hundreds of years earlier, God said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6, chapter 4, also in chapter 9 and 10, he says, when you come into a land where you're, you're drinking from wells that you didn't, you didn't dig, or you're you're eating the food from trees you didn't plant. That can lead to ingratitude, um, entitlement. He said during this time, you're going to be able to build houses and live in them and no one else is ever going to live in them. You're going to be able to dig wells and drink from those wells that you dug. There's that sense of fulfillment and joy and success. Number five, there will be Direct and immediate relationship with God. Notice verse 24. Therefore, before, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Have you ever wondered in, in your prayers, God, do you hear me? Do you ever wonder in your prayers if your prayers are delayed like we find in the book of Daniel where there's spiritual warfare going on as a prayer was being delivered to God? There'll come a time when you don't have to wonder that anymore. While you're speaking, he says, I hear you, and I will answer. That direct and immediate relationship with God. And then finally, the sixth bit.
and shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. <clears throat> they shall not hurt or destroy in, in all my holy mountain. Uh, to be honest with you, confession time here, I kind of enjoy <clears throat> watching survival, <clears throat> excuse me, survival of the fittest, the animal kingdom. I like it when wolves track down buffalo. And I love the, the, if that's filmed and the, how the buffalo come to, to protect another buffalo. Some of it is just, you, you can't watch. It's like a wolf pack waiting for uh, a mother elk to drop a baby. And almost as soon as that baby hits the ground, the wolves are there. That's not comfortable to watch. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. Your cats aren't going to fight with each other. Your dogs aren't going to fight with your cat. Um, it's, going to be, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be a wonderful time. And it answers the question. Remember we've been praying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That prayer, thy kingdom come, has been prayed millions and millions and millions of times before football games, uh, in church services, in individual private devotions. Lord, your kingdom come. All those prayers will be answered when Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom. Some of those prayers are being answered spiritually now when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ. But the kingdom of God was more than just spiritual. It was also physical. And that's going to be answered here. You say, bring it on. I want to see it now. And the Bible tells us, reminds us in Romans chapter 8. He said, we groan with all creation until our redemption is complete. And that's going to come. But the perfect world will never experience now. And yet there's everything about us that wants the perfect world now. We don't want car accidents. We don't want trees falling on our house. We want the perfect world now. And it's going to come. God can fix a broken world. One day, uh, uh, the man I gave the chainsaw to came back to my house. His name's Alan. And he said, uh, I've got something for you. And what he brought me <clears throat> was Papa Bear. He brought me back my chainsaw. This is Papa Bear. Feel free to come up after the service and get pictures with it if you want. Your kids can gather around and get a group shot. It's a heavy chainsaw. I said, Alan, how did you do that? You couldn't get parts for this. He said, well, I hunted down some parts in Denmark. And he fixed it up, gave me an extra blade and chain, repainted it, found the cows that fit on it, it's better than what I had. Papa Bear's back. But the, the cool thing about this, it's a reminder that God can fix a broken world. God will fix a broken world. But because of that truth, we know that God can fix 
a lot of broken things in our lives. Think with me on this. God can fix a broken past. I think of a little girl I met. Um, She had run away from home, Seattle, when she was 13. She found her way to the streets of Detroit and lived and worked those streets for 17 years. Uh, Her life was a mess. Completely broken. Completely broken. And one day, one of our vans from the church drove by her on the street and stopped and shared the gospel with her and gave her hygiene kits and prayed with her. She didn't come to know Jesus then, but it wasn't long after that in jail she did. And she cried out to God to save her. And God saved her so wonderfully. I was reading this week the verse, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God healed her. God healed her and saved her. But 17 years of her life was filled with pain, uh, brokenness. Could God heal all of that too? You should see her today. I asked her, I said, what is your dream? She said, my dream is to go back to Seattle and share share the gospel with my mom. My dream is to go to Seattle and and start my own um, rescue ministry, like the one who rescued me. She's married now, finished off a degree, had a baby, and just had twins. And it's, I, I, I see her picture on Facebook, and she's so, so happy and so fulfilled on a mission. She's drinking in the scriptures. Can God, can God fix a broken past? Absolutely. Absolutely. He did it for her. He could do it for any of us. Can God fix broken dreams? Yeah. He can. Under broken past, I was thinking, probably the three greatest men in the Bible that was used the most, Moses, uh, David, and Saul, who became Paul. All three of them had one thing in common. They all were murderers. Think about that. I read books today of guys who say, "If if a person fails, God can never use them again. If a pastor falls, God can never use him again. You get one shot at this. I'm so glad our God is more gracious than some of these pastors. There's, and don't get me wrong. There's, there's a restoration time that has to take place that's built on deep repentance and all of that. But we have a God who can not only restore broken dreams, He can give us new dreams even better than the earlier ones we had. Thirdly, they may say, God can restore broken relationships. God can restore, do you believe that? 
If God can, if God can fix a broken world, don't you think he can fix broken relationships? I've had so many um, men talk to me over the years and said, you know, our, our marriage is just hanging on by a thread. We've tried everything. We've been to counselors. We've spent a lot of money. We've maxed out our credit cards just trying to get help. And I want to say, uh, that's good. It's good that you've done that. But have you tried the wonderful counselor who's able to do amazing, astonishing, hard-to-explain things in our lives? We sang about him this morning. The same God that did all of that can do this today. God can fix broken relationships. There are two families I've been praying with, praying with and, and for for uh, probably 12 to 15 years. They're both families, wonderful families that love the Lord. But there's, there's, a, there's tension in those families so they don't talk to each other. A grandfather hasn't talked to it and hasn't seen his grandchildren in six or seven years. And it, it rips at their heart every single day. And I pray. I said, Lord, bring healing to these families. God, you, you can fix, you will fix a broken world. I know you can fix broken families. It hasn't happened with this one. But there's been a breakthrough here. And when they're getting together and they're enjoying each other and they're praying and they're talking, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. God can fix broken relationships. I, I've been praying all of this week that something I've said this morning from the text would minister to every one of your hearts. And I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe you don't know Jesus yet. You need to come to know him. Or perhaps you're dealing with a broken relationship. Perhaps you're experiencing the pain of a broken dream, realizing that your time's running out to see that dream realized. Or maybe it's the past where the wicked one continues to remind you that you're a failure. And the God whispers in your ear and says, no, you're not. I've taken care of that past. When he died on the cross and then came forth in the grave. Heavenly Father, I pray that you administer to our hearts. Father, for those today who may have no hope, Father, would you give hope? And Father, you who are so powerful, who spoke a world into existence and will speak again and create a new heaven and a new earth. Father, you can fix our problems. Lord, I pray that you give us faith to believe. I pray, Father, that you'll give us a will to work. And Father, from this message, Father, change lives. In Jesus' name, amen.